Welcome, everybody, to the Called Podcast from First Fisherman Media. We are here again on location in Paris at the Convent of the Religious of the Assumption. And today we have two special guests. Uh, This is our first time on the podcast with two sisters at the same time. So this will be amazing. We have Sister Christine and Sister Paula Victoria. Sisters, thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thank you, too. Great. And so oh, I, my pleasure. It's been wonderful to be in your convent and you've been so kind as a as a guest. It's been wonderful to share prayer with you and your community and have an amazing life. It's great. Um, so maybe you could start either one of you want to start us in prayer and then we can begin the podcast. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We thank you, Lord, for calling us to join the religious with the assumption. We thank you for um, being our, um, for having called us and having given us this uh, opportunity to speak about our talk about our m- vocation. And we thank you for this particular moment you have given us. We ask you to be with us now. And we ask you that your Holy Spirit can guide us in all that we will do and what we will say through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father. And the Son and and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. So let's start maybe with uh, Sister Christine. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background. The purpose, just to remind anybody listening in for you, the purpose of this podcast is to let people get to know our religious and also to attempt to inspire more vocations to the church. So that's the purpose. And so maybe somebody can listen to your story and be inspired to uh, follow in a similar path. So could you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you uh, grow up and maybe where did you grow up and how did uh, the Lord call you to this life? Uh, As you heard, my name is Christine. Uh, I'm from Rwanda. I grew up in a Christian family where our parents taught us to pray. And then I joined secondary school, primary school, and secondary school. And that's where I started thinking about vocation. Because I normally am somebody who likes world things. I like music. I like um, praying, especially basketball. I like dancing. I like singing. And in sc- secondary school, we learned praying, and then I started learning, liking prayer also. And so anytime I go for dancing, right, of d- in, in um, video or music, and I would compare it to the night I went for prayer, because we'd have also some pray- prayer time. And uh, I would feel that after a night of dancing and, um, and rejoicing with my friends, I would after that I would feel a little bit empty, but then after a night of prayer and uh, and religious um, talks, I would feel more peaceful, and uh, I'd feel I'm more alive, and I, I'd feel peace and calm, and something that continues to accompany us in the daily life, and so I started comparing both the two, prayer life and uh, and music and dancing life. And playing life, so I realized that nightlife. after after a prayer, a time of prayer, I'm more myself, and uh, life becomes more meaningful to me, and that's why I started thinking of religious life because that's where I found it gives me more life and more peace in in my mind, in, in my heart. Mm, thank you. Maybe uh, sis, maybe we switch to Sister Vic. P- uh, we can do the do it this way, uh, Sister Paula Victoria. How about you? When was the beginning of you? Where are you from? And Tell us the beginning of your story, too. I'm from the Philippines, and uh, I'm the youngest of 12. Oh, wow. That's a huge family. Um, I grew up in a Catholic family, but we're not really practicing that much. Um, I was... Um, before I joined Assumption as a teacher, I never thought of entering religious life because... Um, Religious practices was not very um, interesting for me. I found masses very boring, and I didn't want to pray. But when I joined Assumption as a teacher, um, everything changed radically. 
um, that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. And it was very, very interesting because um, everything, everything that we do, we would always begin with a prayer. And I would think, wow, this is a very, very special place for me. And I thought I was telling my brothers, I said, I think I'm not going to last in Assumption. It's a very different world for me. But my brother would always think, just stay and just enjoy everything. And from the very beginning, I was just trying to observe and see what's going on and enjoying everything that, that God was putting into my, my space before me. And um, as part of our work as a teacher, uh, we were told to, to lead the morning talk. It's like you talk about the gospel to the students. And I asked my friend, the angel, that the one accompanying me as a new teacher. I told you, so what's, uh, what's it, what is it all about, the morning talk? She said, it's like a homily. So every day, every day, I would attend Mass. Not to complete the Mass, but just to copy the homily of the priest and bring it to my students and uh, explain to them the gospel and then start singing with them. But that was the beginning of the new relationship with God. When I think of my vocation story, and I'm always excited to go back to the story because it was like a love at first sight, like discovering faith and discovering something beautiful that I never thought of embracing. Everything was new to me, and when it was beginning to unfold before my eyes, everything was just like um, music, a rainbow. <laughs> the name of Jesus was like a melody for me, but I kept it. Because I was, at first, I was so shy to talk about it. Because first, I, am not, I, wa I was not attending Mass. I was not really fond of attending religious activities. So I was a little bit conscious to talk about vocation and following Jesus in a way. So af only after three years that I started to talk about it, when one of the sisters asked me, would you like to try joining Religious of the Assumption? I said, yeah, why not? We will see. And that was the beginning of me talking and sharing about my desire to enter religious life. But everything was kept to my family. I did not tell them about it. And um, until I was asked to join the, the aspirancy, the discernment retreat, and I was able to, to join and enjoy the company of my co-journers and at the same time with the sisters. And um, my brother, one of my brothers discovered about it. Actually, I did not tell it to my, my siblings. They just discovered that I was planning to join the religious life. And how old were you when this happened? This is I was already 27. Oh, wow. So, so, quite late. so you, so if I understand you, you were in the, um, you were a teacher first yes. before you, you were a teacher at a school run by your, your order, by the by assumption. The so you're just a teacher normally, but they wanted you to um, give a talk in the morning, and then you started to go to church in order to go to mass in order to yes, learn what exactly, to say, exactly. and then and that, that started that to inspire like, you. That was like the beginning of my uh, discovering of the person of Jesus in a way. Mm -hmm. That's really beautiful. Thank you. And um, Sister Christine, in your experience, it sounds like it started with this comparison between the world of let's say secular enjoyment meaning going out and having fun with your friends exactly. and dancing and then religious enjoyment which is prayer and mass and and you started to discern that maybe that was a more fulfilling uh, way and th then what happened um, then from there I started uh, talking to the sisters telling them about what I feel in the secular world and uh, in the religious world. And then they told me, they asked me whether I would join um, their school to teach, because I also entered as a teacher. Before I entered religious life, I was a teacher. And then I went to the school where they, 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 they had a boarding, and uh, I taught with them, the sisters started looking at their way of living. And then uh, with the discernment, talking to the sister, and um, going more and more to their prayers, to adoration, following their programs, I realized that that gives me more meaning to, to, the li to my life. And from there, I asked to join. 
Did you yeah. discern any other uh, orders or was that the only one there locally or that just was the one that felt right immediately and there was no need to seek another order or discern at a different community? Mm, I actually did. There, were, there was a totally contemplative order where I visited. Carmelite order? Carmelite, oh, exactly. Okay. Carmelite. I visited them very often. But then I thought um, staying inside would be difficult for me. There's this balance of life in assumption where you have at the same time prayer life, but also you have apostolic life where you can, you can give yourself for, for the, the, the education or for other social activities which help people also to know God and to, to develop themselves. And so I found a, a contemplative order would be difficult for me because I was also somebody who liked <laughs> secular world in a way. Right. Right. So living bo the, the true in a way, I found to can balance more my life, and that's why I chose the religious with the assumption. And what is in Rwanda? What is how, first of all? How many other sisters are there in in your uh, in your house in Rwanda? In the religious with the assumption. Yes. We are 110 now. In all sisters. of Africa, or is that just in Rwanda? All in Rwanda. Just in Rwanda, there's yeah, 100. Yeah, because Rwanda is where the, it's first the first country where assumption founded the religious with the assumption in Africa. So we are the first one to be founded in Africa by the readers of the Assumption. What year was that founded there? Do you uh, know what year? Yeah, that was one in 1954. Okay. Yeah. And there's 100. And so in your particular house, how many are there? Um, Sisters that live with you? In my community. Yeah, in your community. For now, we are six, six in the people. community. But there's other houses with over... Yeah, there are more 12 houses of the oh communities of the Assumption in Rwanda. Praise God. And what is what is your... I know the charism is education and prayer, but what is your particular, what is it that you do locally in Rwanda? Um, for the moment in Rwanda, I do, um, because the country is developing very fast, and so leaders with Assumption found very important to enter the, the world of business so that we help ourselves to develop, but also help young people and all people around to develop as the country develops. So we have a center, um, type of hotel where we welcome visitors, but also we educate young people to get to be self-sufficient. I, I mean, to get uh, into business and gain money for for life, to live better in, in the society. That's what I'm doing now. So there, there are poor people that don't have this experience in business. They don't know how to handle financial matters. And you guys, uh, your community teaches them how yeah, to do that. Yeah, that's what we're doing exactly. Especially for young people and uh, all other people, groups of people around. We, we, ha we have many groups that we train into business skills, meaning um, starting, starting a small business, running it, you know, uh, doing the accounts, um, um, looking for customers and all that. And then after we help them to start a small business, and there we do a follow-up so that we make sure that the business uh, gives, gives some, more, some money for them, that gives interest. That's what we are trying to mm. do uh, with young people and with the, the groups around. How do you like this work? I do. Yes, yeah. I like it very much. Um, in the beginning, I th it was difficult for me because I entered as a teacher, and uh, I was uh, the congregation. The province asked me, the congregation asked me to to change a little bit and to enter the business world, and they trained me. And then I found it very important because as we, as the country develops, we listen to the needs of the people around, and we see, especially the the groups of women who are not uh, have not gone to school, to have very high schools, group of young people. They need a particular presence of people who knows how to run a business so that they can also grow as the country develops, they can develop at the same rhythm. Otherwise, the, the, the gaps uh, can be created between the rich and the poor when don't if we don't take care of them. Sure. So I like it in that way. Do you have um, a s particular story of someone that you helped and what sort of happened along the way? Yes, actually we have a group of young people they started, they were 12. We started a group of, of, of 12 young people who came to the center. Then we turned them into business. After turning them into business, after we have known that they have enough skills, they grouped into a cooperative 
they started a small business of selling, uh, selling charcoal to the population. Um, now there are 15 of them, so three others joined, and they, they, they are business doing very, very well. So we can fo make a follow-up and we see they are, they are happy, they are self-sufficient. Now they can, you know, they can buy their own things they need. They don't go to us to, to beg, if I can say like that. Sure. And there is more hope that is coming th through their work as they, as they, as they, as And before they were begging to make they a were living. They were Actually, they the beg. Street. If they don't beg young people, they go and drink, take drugs. So that particular group was a group of pe young people would go and sit uh, around the road, sit there and take drugs and drink and, you know. So, so that was what was waiting for them if yeah, they didn't yeah, change so their life. So grouping them helped them to feel like somebody is closer to us. Somebody sees the our needs, and somebody is helping us to come out of this, uh, you know, this uh, situation of uh, drugs ad ad addiction and uh, and uh, alcohol addiction. And now, now they're not on now these they drugs. Now they are very, very fine, very, very fine. Actually, before I came, they they came to see me and, and still <laughs> to thank me, but we thank God for having allowed them to come out of that situation. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah. Thank you so much. And Sister uh, Paula Victoria, how about you? What is your so you're um, you joined the Religious of the Assumption? Are you a teacher still, or yes. do you have a different charism in uh, wh wh what part of the Philippines? Um, Ilo Ilo. Ilo Ilo. Okay, is um, that in the, the north or the south? I'm um, the Visayas. Okay. Um, I, I came from the family of teachers mm. and that's that, that was one of the um, reasons why I joined Assumption. I tried also two congregations, um, but, um, I was, uh, re I was really, um, um, I wanted to embrace teaching for the rest of my, sure. of my, uh, of my life at that time. I was so into teaching. Um, so I joined Assumption and, um, right Five years after I, I, I know four years after my teaching in Assumption Iloilo, and I was brought to Manila for my, for my first formation year, and um, I was assigned in a very poor area in Malibay, uh, that was our postulancy house. Until now, it's our postulancy house, and we were, and we are catering to the poor families. But what's good with Assumption in because we we do twinning like the big schools. I came from a big school in terms of teaching my when I before I entered, and what's good with uh, with the uh, way we handle our our educational projects was we we partner big schools with the small schools, and there's always um, formation program that we that we try to to facilitate the communication and the relationship between the big schools and the small schools. We call it twinning. And uh, these small schools, the, the schools from depressed areas, from like Mindanao, from um, Malibay, Pasay, and from from different areas, poor areas, and then these big schools are the ones supporting them, in a way helping them. Like if there are projects in big schools, then we send money or um, school supplies to the small schools to be able to to help them and to alleviate from the difficulties in terms of going to school. And so it's very, very interesting and I was enjoying it. And when I was also assigned as a principal in a small school in Baguio, that's northern part of Manila, it was um, a very um, fascinating work because I was, we were handling the indigenous peoples. Well, the population of the school was not anymore like the whole, the whole population was indigenous, but most of them are still, are still indigenous, and it was a very interest, very interesting because we would always, they would always um, do masses and their their songs and their dances and uh, the, their culture. We're, we're trying to revive their culture and we're trying to make it again alive in the sense that we we use it for the. Um, different different programs of the schools and uh, even in our masses so it's very life-giving to the people as well for them to be able to go back to their culture mm. do you have any um, particular um, experiences with someone that you would like to share meaning somebody that you uh, interacted with that was um, when I was in Malibay I was um, I was only uh, a postulant uh, and um, and I had a chance to to visit one family who was very very poor, and um, 
my presence and my constant visit to the family gave an impact to them that um, for them it was always an experience of meeting Jesus because uh, I don't I had nothing to give them but we always um, try to pray and just tell stories to listen to to how they, their life was going on and then we, and so we would always share stories and for the, and until even until now they would always get in touch with me because of that sharing of the stories they knew that um, life is does not end with poverty and now that the eldest daughter is already uh, working as a teacher also and she's doing well and she's helping the family so much so it was beyond material things that uh, I was able to share with the family. Sharing of stories and sharing of faith was something very valuable for them that made them feel that they are not alone, that they are they are accompanied by somebody, not just a sister, but the presence of Jesus uh, that um, made alive before them because of our sharing of stories and experiences. Uh, I'm curious. This It's interesting. Um, both of you come from countries where the faith is very strong. So you might say that if you look at the statistics, for example, um, in Europe, in the United States, uh, the faith, the church is not growing. It's even shrinking. But in Africa is one of the few places where it's growing very, very much. And the Philippines, the faith is very strong. I'm not sure if it's growing or shrinking there, but the faith is it's rumored to be very strong. Do, do either of you do you what what is your thoughts or your impressions about why is the church growing so much in Africa when all the other places seems to not be doing so well? Um, we have to remember that uh, historically, Africa was evangelized. And uh, so Christianity is not very old in Africa, actually, because it was, it was brought by Western countries to evangelize the, the people of Africa. And so for a few years, the evangelization has be, has gone on, and then it's almost end, ended now. Now, our own people are evangelizing themselves, mm. let me say, say like that. Um, and so it's as if now faith is, is it getting, being rooted actually in our, in our daily lives, and uh, go to the families and to different Christian communities and to schools, and you find that we are evangelizing ourselves. And that makes it a little bit different, being, being evangelized by your brother and your sister. It means that the, the family evangelizes itself, we pray together. The village evangelizes itself, they are, uh, we have priests, you have uh, parents, you know, and they, they, they bring up their children, they pray with them and then uh, remind them that Christian life also needs uh, priests and religious. And you see that uh, it's like um, sort of you know, being culturally rooted really in our, in our cultures, that's the first thing that makes it grow very fast. We are really evangelizing ourselves. Now we don't have many missionaries now. And we find it very interesting to see a grandfather, you know, telling stories about Christ, about, about angels, about saints, and, and you know, young people, uh, children listening to the, to, the, to the father. And that makes us grow um, in Christian culture, let's say like that. And uh -huh. that's, uh, yeah. Amazing. And in the Philippines, what did, how, what did, how do you attribute, why is the Philippines such a faithful country? I think it's the um, positive outlook of the people that uh, even in moments of difficulties, they know that God is near. Um, and uh, I think it's the, it's the constant um, reminder of, of the nearness of God to, to each one of us, the, the, the presence of God that's always there. And there are always a lot of difficulties in the Philippines and sufferings and all sorts. But when you talk to the people, they go beyond sufferings and they go beyond difficulties. And I think it's that the presence of God that's within them. It, it may not be shown in their practices and going to church and all that, but the little prayers and simple prayers are always said inside the house. Mm, beautiful. And in your experience, Sister, with um, this teaching mission, how has your life been as a, as a nun? F before, before you answer that, sorry, I wanted to ask one other question. Were either of you tempted with family life? Because you're entered relatively late, not super late, but 27. There the other sisters I've spoken to maybe entered a little bit sooner. They were very clear that it was a religious vocation, that they had not a family vocation. Did either of you struggle or 
discern, hey, maybe I would go a family uh, rather than a religious vocation? <laughs> Just like what I said, I never thought of entering the convent. I, th I was really thinking of getting married and having my own children. But uh, um, because of my experience in Assumption, Iloilo, everything changed. It was like a magic. So, so for a while, I was really thinking of maybe married life is also something beautiful and something is interesting. But my love for Christ and my love for the congregation was overpowering everything. I also had experience when I was studying theology, falling in love with a seminarian and all. But that experience made, um, I think it became uh, another foundation of my love for my vocation because it meant a lot for me that it, it became a face of God f falling, falling in love again to God in a very human way. No, it was a struggle. It was not easy. It was a struggle. I had During this experience yes, with the seminary. I cried a lot as well. But... In the end, it was really a proof of God's love for me. It was uh, uh, a moment that really mattered to me in terms of my religious vocation because it strengthened my vocation. Because I had already my vows. I was already in my first year as a junior sister, and that experience came. And for me, it was like God was so good to give me that experience to be able to complete my whole journey because I never had a boyfriend before I entered. So it was an experience of... Um, loving God and recognizing God in a very human way. Did and you met? Uh, what what was? Uh, do you did you have a lot of conversations with the seminarian about this? This must have been yes, because the support of my superior, the support of my spiritual director was very very good, and they were telling me you cannot turn away from this. No, this is life, and this is part of your formation. Face it. And so I, I gave myself into it. No, I allowed myself. But of course, I was reminded that my identity is a religious. And so as a religious, I have um, boundaries. No, and it was very clear to me because I really want to die as an assumption. But because of that particular experience, I was given a chance to look into another possibility. No. Mm. And I, my, my was he considering was leaving the seminary? Was he proposing, hey, let's let's leave the religious never, life and get married? Never, or just never. He never asked me to go out. and, but um, It was just these strong feelings. Strong feeling. But it was a um, beautiful experience because he himself, was all, it was very clear for him as well that he wanted to become a priest. And so it was a beautiful journey of knowing God in a very different way. Mm, now he's a promising priest, so oh. I'm happy for him. <laughs> How about you, sister? D what was your experience, or maybe different? Uh, in Africa, we married very young, actually. So, and I said I entered. I had What's young? What? How old? Very young. From from eighteen, we are, we are ready to get married. From eighteen years old, that and is very young. I finished secondary school. I was twenty-one year, years old, but our secondary school lasted six years. So before I joined religious life. Uh, so that meant that from 18 years old, I had people coming to ask you know, whether I would marry marry them. I think I got three. Three proposals for yeah, marriage? Yeah, three proposals. The first one, I was still young. I was, uh, I was uh, 17, some, somewhere there. And this person was very, you know, he, had already, he, was, he was doing business. He was a rich person in the, in the village. Then he proposed me to get married. That would mean that he waits for me. When I finish secondary school, I marry him. And so I, I was still do in secondary school, and I would go to school. Anytime I prayed, I felt you know, prayer is more, you know, this prayer life and <laughs> is more, it gives me more peace. And uh, thinking of getting married and getting children and having a family, I would feel like I'm, I'm, I'm close somewhere in a small space. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> I actually told him, uh, I told him, I'm thinking I will, I, will, I will not marry very soon. This is number one. That the was first number one. The, the number two the, came. The second wrote <laughs> a very good letter. <laughs> <laughs> he <laughs> was a writer. <laughs> yeah. He tried a different approach. But also I loved him because normally after when we were doing the secondary school, we had, um, this was like uh, f for the holidays, summer holidays, it was long. That would be one month, two months. And so I would be employed as a student. And there I met this uh, this man who loved me. I I also feel I loved him a little bit. <laughs> I was still young. Those he wrote wrote at me, but luckily I had not finished secondary school. 
I kept telling him, please wait, I finished my study. Because to me, it was very important that I finish studies first. And that one waited, so it never happened. Now, the third one came. I had finished secondary school now. I had started working. He had a letter and he also came. He came. <laughs> he came because for us, no here, writing. There, he just we, went you know, we may not know the person, but others know him and they know you. So they send the person to go and visit this person and tell her, propose her marriage. That's what actually happens. That's how it happened. So yeah, it, it so wasn't the man himself. He no told his no friends. No, he came. To no, come. A friend, uh, the, the, our colleagues, my colleagues who were teaching together in the same school, so they told the man to come and ask whether I would marry him. So he came himself. But so you don't date and these men before. These <laughs> just come immediately. Hey, you're beautiful. Yeah. You seem like a nice and person. Let's get married. There's no <laughs> dating. But then before let's go get a cup of coffee. Proposing, he told me <laughs> what he was. <laughs> he had finished working. He told me what he has. He told me all the plans. I listened to him. I felt off immediately. <laughs> 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 so I told him, listen to me. I have. I feel in my heart that when I, I pray, I, I actually it's as if this life of prayer had like taken me, you know, the whole the whole of my my myself, and I would feel it is beautiful. So I told him, please wait because I don't I don't I don't want to 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 decide now whether I marry or not. And so he waited. As he was waiting, then it became clear that he have ten years left now. He like ten years, fifteen. 16 years in religious life, something came again. I thought, why, why did you not get married? You don't have a, you don't have a family. What happened to you? How old were you at this I time? I was around 30, 37, So that maybe like a biological clock yeah, started to Yeah, so, so that one was very strong. And what happened, I had a, a colleague who was very, a, a, we loved each other actually very much. And so I started thinking, ev everything I have not done. I have no family, I have not built a house, I don't <laughs> buy a car. Everything <laughs> came. <laughs> and so I went out the convent actually. Then I have made my final vows, but I asked to go out because it is allowed. For we call that exclustration. You ask to go out of the community. Just for a period or forever? For a period. Okay, so I want to take a year off. Yeah, I said I have to take a year off and think about my vocation because I feel everything is off. I, I no longer have this test for religious life. So was this because of this man or just you had this feeling inside that, hey, I'm missing out. I don't, I don't they know. Were, it was like a combination of things. But the man had a very big role in, in that. You just really like this person, <laughs> this yeah. man. You felt yeah, I liked him, but and also he loved me. Uh, so we would share so many things. So any doubt I had, I told him. Then he would say, "You come out and come out, come out." And also, I felt I felt it was important for me to ref to think again, because mm. I will I die in this life really? So I started thinking about getting a old and dying in the reader's life, and that they asked to go out. So they allowed me to go out for one year. So you were still a sister, but just not in the community, not in the or community. you were in a sister. You, you were still, still a sister because I had made my final vows, yep. but not living in the community. So I started like I can call it a lay, a lay life. So I had to to work. Then you're still wearing the habit. No, no habit. No habit. No habit. Only the ring. I had a ring, and I could keep my cross, but I was not putting it on because I had to go out and work like lay person. Yeah. So what job did you get? Sorry. What job did you get? What were you doing for work? I was in a, in a trousers and the, like any any person, special trousers and the, and the shorts because that's what I like. And you <laughs> and you were you had just a regular job. You went and got yeah. Work? I got a job. Yes, a very good job actually because I traveled uh, Costa Rica, USA, everywhere, D traveling because I had a it was a company that was gi giving trainings to people. There is something called outward bound. Um, yeah, outward bound. Yeah, so I kind of get together with those people, and then I would go like nature for, camp for camping and all that. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Then um, for one year, I said in Canada, I said there. Then from there, uh, a combination of other many things. Also, I realized that you know I have to go back to religious life. I was still discerning: is religious life my joy? Is it my peace? Is it? Uh, Were you spending time with this man during this year? No, we spent we spent because he was he was. Um, he w he was in Rwanda. Then, when I went out, he spent a few time a few months in Rwanda. He went to USA. 
I met, I joined him there in two, uh, after uh, in one year. Then he went to come to, to work in Vietnam. I went back to Rwanda, so <laughs> the distance also was, was another thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But meanwhile, I had also to build a house. I needed to build the house for my family. And that was very important for me because I, I, I was thinking, no, we need a house in the family. With the genocide, all that, that happened in Rwanda, we had scattered. No parents, no what. And so I lost everything. So there was a combination of many things that really I had to go out of this life. And that's where, when I chose for the second time to come back to religious life, I realized, yeah, this is, a, this is joy for my, the rest of my life. And then I chose from Canada, I came back to Rwanda, and then I joined again religious life. So, so you were praying and you decided that this is the right way to yes. go, is to be religious. Yeah, so I said this is the right way, and then I went back. Uh, yeah, praise so God. Yeah, and and um, and to me it was it is very important that I I went through that because the now when I I look at uh, the religious life as it is my life and with the life of my sisters, it is the, a time of thank God for everything, for keeping me as religious. Because <laughs> yeah, I, I told you in the beginning that I like I like uh, world things, so yeah, dancing and dancing <laughs> and and discovering people and discovering places, you know. That was my my joy, but still, even during those four years, I realized, you know, peace of mind and heart, the meaning of life, to me, cannot uh, be possible if God is not center of my life. And, and you need to, be and religious is the best. Is yeah, that's the to me, religious is very important for to be to give me that structure of you know, being closer to God and uh, loving Him, and and that's what happened. Oh, it's <laughs> really beautiful. Yeah. How about you, sister? Was there ever a period in um, your vocation where you started to maybe doubt, as as um, as Sister Christine was talking about, or for you, it was you decided to come in a little bit late? You had this little moment with the <laughs> seminarian, <laughs> but then after that, it was full steam ahead. Or was there ever a moment? Yes, where I had an experience in the community, misunderstandings and many things. It was also a combination of many things that made me think uh, to to live religious life for a while. Uh, it was a very strong experience. Now, I cannot just tell the details of it, but it was a very strong experience that I stopped even going to Mass. I stopped... This is pain within the community. Yeah. There's difficulties. Uh, the difficulty in the, co the community. And then I stopped joining the Sisters for Prayer. I stopped joining them in other activities. I was just um, keeping myself inside the room, doing my, my, my work in the school, and then back to, to the house. But after a while, I realized that um, the love of God is bigger than everything. That even if I hated Assumption for a while because of that experience, but... Um, Marie Eugenie was, I think, very present in every detail of my journey. That he was trying to make me realize how beautiful, how beautiful life is, be even beyond assumption, even beyond religious life. But um, what was very striking was, even if I was not attending mass at that time, when the bell rings for prayer, I would run to the chapel but stay at the back. I think that was my saving, saving space in saving um, call from God every day. If it's time for prayer, I would go to the chapel, but not joining the sisters, but I would stay at the back. For that. So it was a, uh, a difficult experience, but at the same time, I discovered once again that God is bigger than everything, and no one can take my vocation from me. Only God can, can God allows it to grow each day, even in difficult moments. Mm. So um, because of the help of my formators, of, uh, of other superiors, I was able to bounce back and see again the beauty of the assumption, the beauty of my vocation, and the beauty of living in the community. That How was just part of a journey, I guess. Yeah, I'm curious from both of you, what is your experience living in community? Obviously, you had this difficult part, but what does the community life of a religious add to being a religious? Because you could be a hermit, right? You could go and live. The, the Desert Fathers in the beginning of the church, they would just go and be in the in the middle of the desert praying so what do you th what is your b i'd like to both both of yours experience with what is the community aspect of your of it's your like vocation living, give? living also with our family and there are little misunderstandings we have responsibilities we do little works we share responsibilities inside the house we share stories we 
We have um, every night we have activities, movie night, singing nights, liturgical liturgy night, news night, and uh, game night. And but we also have conflicts in a way, one way or another. There are misunderstandings. And but uh, what's good with community life is at the end of the day during our night prayer, there's always a space for asking for forgiveness. Before we begin mm. our night prayer, the last prayer of the day, we always ask for forgiveness. From I'm each so other? So you'll say other. like you'll sit in like the Like, I'm the so group. sorry, um, sister so-and-so, for hurting you, for saying this to you. Sorry for, for, the, for the little uh, words that I have spoken. And so from there, the, the conflicts end. And so wow, we that's begin amazing. again. That's we begin really, again that's really beautiful. As if nothing happened. It's always uh, a day of encounter and sharing of life. But at the end of the day, we are still sisters to one another. Now we go beyond our limitations and weaknesses. How about you? How is, what's your experience? What is the community life like for you? To me, the community life is very, very important. Very, very important. Um, as personally, it is, it is a, a space for growth. For growth, it means the way I live with my sister actually weighs the, way th the love I have for God. <laughs> because uh, we are different. Sometimes we, we, we live in different, uh, as different nationalities, in assumption. Even if not, we are not different as in, in uh, nationalities, we live with different in different ages. You are living with a sister of 85, uh, 65, 23. You see that, uh, that um, you know, gap between uh, us makes it very interesting <laughs> as we <we'll laughs> <laughs> we'll different is an ideas. interesting way to put that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> different ideas, different way, different way for seeing things, different way for understanding situations. But we keep learning from one another how a situation is, how this, how, how it's, it one, this one understands situation, I learn from the person. But also it helps me to understand myself because sometimes I may have big ideas. I say an idea. A sister of 85 will never understand what I have said. Or <laughs> 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 well, a sister of 23 will tell me, what are you saying? <laughs> what is that? And so I learn, how do I make myself understood? But also, how do I come to understand and accept the ideas of others? And that makes me grow in love, really. Sometimes a sister challenges me, changes my ideas, or my way of seeing things. And that becomes very, very important for me. Another thing is that we support one another, even in faith. Sometimes you are down. You don't feel like going to pray, but the ring, the, the, when it rings, you go to chapel, everybody's already there, and you are the one missing. Adoration, everybody goes there. Or not. And so you, you've all, another one has not gone, you have gone. But uh, the other one will ah, so we are supposed to be adoration, to go to adoration. Others have gone, uh, have not gone. And you find that helps, it helps him to, day after day, to like to improve the quality of my life as religious, but also as a person. Mm. Yeah, that's really beautiful. We, yeah. we always say that community life is a school of love, mm. and we're learning every day. That's <laughs> do you have um, any practices like Sister uh, Sister Paula Victoria was saying that she has their their community has this let's say group forgiveness at the end of the night. Does your community do something like that? Or yeah, is that, that is assumption. Oh, that's an assumption yeah, it's thing. assumption. We have, we have prayer called complain. We have complain yeah, at the sure. end of the, the day. And the last prayer. And right. there, we start by <laughs> you know, asking for forgiveness for what I have not done well. I ask forgiveness for my sisters. I ask forgiveness from God. Uh, everything that has was wrong during the day. So we really share it. That sounds very valuable. Yeah. Um, I have a question. I know we have you have you have to go uh, relatively soon, so maybe we start to uh, end it. It's been really wonderful hearing from your stories, and it's been working really well. The two of you passing back and forth the microphone. <laughs> so I have a couple a couple questions. Um, the first would be, if somebody is struggling in their life and having difficulties, you guys both deal with people who are in difficult situations in their life, meaning poor people, people that don't have any money, people that are on the street living. And so you have a lot of experience with this. What would you say to someone if they're listening and they're really struggling deeply and suffering in their life? What would you say uh, to that person? Um, the first thing I would say, t tell the person, please 
share with somebody what you are living. Don't keep it for yourself. Share with somebody you think this person is dear to me and I can tell, talk about my suffering, whatever the struggle is. So don't keep, don't keep it to yourself. That's one. Um, two, there are many solutions that one can get for struggles that you are, uh, one goes, uh, goes through. But um, it is also good, always very, very important to, um, to have God in, in, in mm. your life. Yeah. God is, to me, the presence of God in one's life makes sense in all the situations. Being happy or being, uh, ha having, being in struggles, God is always there and he's a presence of love, a loving presence. And that is very, because that what keeps uh, inner energy to them who is struggling. Then when God is there and when we have somebody have shared with the problem and then get a listening ear and be open so that you can be, can be helped. Actually what, uh, what our world is, is teaching us sometimes, it tells us you are self-sufficient, you know, you, you, you can do everything <laughs> on your own. And I'm raising that it's not possible. We always need each other. If, you are, if somebody may have a lot of money, another one has a, a big heart to welcome others. And so when I tell somebody who has money that I'm poor, the person can get open, help me. But also when I tell the person that I'm struggling, maybe I'm depressed, um, the one with the big and, and, and welcoming heart may give me an idea, may help me to come out of the situation as long as the person listens to me. But in all, God is very important now because he gives meaning to every situation one goes through. That's what I can say. Thank you. And Sister Paula Victoria, how about For you? For me to remind the person that there is always something good in every situation. Whatever it is, even if it is very hard, there is always something good in it. And we are learning from our experiences. And I'd like to borrow the line of Mother Marie Eugenie that she said. Um, Who is that? Mother Marie Eugenie, our foundress, okay. that always love and surrender. Do not be afraid because there is a far greater love and that's God. Mm. And so if somebody's just beginning a relationship with God or questioning, how would you recommend they begin? Let's say they're just beginning a prayer life or they're still questioning whether there is God. Would you just say, hey, just start talking to God? What is your advice to someone who doesn't have experience um, in religion at all? Or just, just they're just having difficulties and maybe they want to have a relationship with God. How would you suggest that they begin that relationship? And I think I'll suggest the same thing. Um, the struggle uh, or the, um, you know, like the awakening of God's presence in our life is very important because actually we look for God outside us, but he's inside us. That is St. Augustine. He's inside us. Though we go around looking for him outside, but he's inside there. He, he, waits, for, he waits us. So as I said in the beginning, it is good to, to get to talk to somebody. We have around us good Christians. We have around us mm, maybe religious or priests. It is good to talk to them. Tell them what you are feeling. That's very important. That's one. But the second thing I'd like to, to, to say, when somebody is struggling with faith, um, it is very important to say short prayers don't go for very high very long prayers because that one it, it can it can it can may, may feel bored if it is a very long prayer but short prayers the name of jesus the name of god um god i love you god you are there god i know you love me uh you are present lord v very short prayers but then it is always good to get openly to somebody else mm. who can help thank you uh, um, spending time in silence is also very, very important. Um, it's like giving God a chance to enter into that silence. Um, it is not only in big activities and big experiences and big moments that we experience God. Even in silence, even in of being alone, God will always be there. But it is very, very important as well to talk to somebody just like what Sister Christine was saying. But it is also very, very important to learn how to listen and to be able to just stay still and recognize that um, the breath of God, the presence of God is there. It may not be very a spectacular experience, but God 
in silence you'll always be present amen last question and then we can end in prayer because i know sister you have to go the last question would be if someone is religious and they're experiencing some doubt in their vocational discernment the should i be a family should i go family should i go the religion a, li- a religious vocation either priest or nun would you have any words of advice for them given your experience just to keep holding on <laughs> but in uh, even if in your in married life there will always be difficulties and there will always be moments of doubts and uh, struggles so since you heard the call of god do not doubt the call because god god never commits mistake he's always um giving his best in each one of us and so once we are called we are called mm. so we embrace that calling and our our vocation to the fullest amen sister christine um sister uh, Vicky have talked about it about listening and please stay still mm. if you have doubt don't decide take your time pray and wait ask for accompaniment accompaniment people who are experienced talk to them but don't decide take time pray and wait that's very important also. Amen. Maybe we could end in prayer. Would you guys be willing to, either of you or both of you, say a prayer in your language? Or do you want to do it in English? We could do it, would, you, would you be willing to do that? A prayer in, uh, in your native language? In Kenya, Rwanda? Yeah. I pray Hail Mary. Okay. Ndakuram Samaria, Ushinim Horanani Mana, Wahibushwa Gurebos Mudisha, Nayes Mana Zara Singisqua. Maria mutagatifu mzeyi w'Imana urayudusabira twabanyabyaha kuri ubu nigiye tuzapfira amen In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit Amen Would you like to say something maybe Tagalog prayer maybe in my dialect Okay whatever you you um, you pick Salamat ginoko sa tanan nga ginhatag mo gracias sa amon sa tanan nga um experience nga naghatag sa amon sang pagpag-on sang amon nga pagpalangga sa imo kabay pa nga sa tanan nga oras kay sa tanan nga mga tinion patuloy padayon kami nga mangin um, para sa imo upod ang amon nga pamilya kagang amon nga kongregasyon in the name of the father Amen. of the son, the son and of the holy, holy spirit. spirit amen signing off thank you so much sisters it was so wonderful to share the time with you and um, thank you so much